welcome everybody. I'm James Cathcart from the Sanctuary First team, uh, and I have the wonderful duo, the beautiful pair. I have got Laura Digan and Ian Jemison. <laughs> and I feel like saying in the red corner and the blue corner, but you can fight over the colours. Um, and uh, Albert Bogle is with us, uh, as you heard briefly there at the beginning. He's going to be uh, securing our guest, um, who's just getting online, so we'll hear more from them shortly. Um, but in the meantime, how's, how's it going, Laura? I'll start with you. How's, how's life going at the minute? It is... Um... Well, it's been uh, this week, uh, it's been really quite full on, actually. Um, with my, I'm now on probation, so getting into the swing of that. Um, myself and Albert were involved with a Premier Digital Radio webinar this week. So we were prepping for that, and then we had that was really good. Um, there have been a few people asking us about it, so I think whenever the replay goes up, I will see about putting the link up on the Sanctuary First website so oh, in the cool. Facebook page so that people um, can actually, you know, tune into it again. Brilliant. And I always feel like we should clarify that when you're on probation, that is part of the Church of Scotland. It's, yes. It's, that's what it they call is, it. Yes. There's nothing, nothing, nothing else, no community service going on. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, uh, it's uh, part of the uh, journey to being a full-time minister. Yes. Oh, dear. And Ian, it's always great to see you. How's it going? Uh, uh, yeah, it's been it's been good. It's been an interesting week for sure. It's been uh, it's been an absolutely busy week. I had, I had two weeks um, when I was titularly on holiday, although you wouldn't know it because I turned up in the podcast every Friday. But <laughs> I was meant to be on holiday at the time. I ended up fracturing my thumb as I told you last week. But I've got the I've got its wee thing off today, and I've just got a, a currently falling off nail. Um, but I came back to the usual. I don't know why I take holidays. There really isn't any point because there's just so much emails and stuff to get through when I when I get back to work. So it's just been it's been pretty full on. I'm just thinking, Laura. You know, when when I was CMO at uh, one of Scotland's uh, maximum secure prisons, um, the um, my kids used to say in the queue at the shops, "Oh, my daddy's in the jail," and. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that per se, but they knew that he was a doctor, and they thought, "What's he been up to?" <laughs> oh, he's never out of that. He's in and out of that place. And <laughs> talk, talking of talking of what, what, what have I been up to? They're, they're doing an extension to our house right now. Our house is built on a whole lot of infill, so they were digging the foundations right to, to for this extension, mm. and the foundations must go down about eight feet. I mean, they're almost taller than, I mean, they are, they're, they're almost as tall as I am. And the digger turned round to me, um, not knowing what job I did and said, is there anybody you want rid of? And I'm like, fair few. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, mean patience, I don't mean a single word of that. <laughs> <laughs> of course not, of course not. And dear Albert, you're back, you're back with us. Yeah. Um, have you have you managed to get a hold of our special guest this yes week? yes and i believe he's trying to get in so hopefully if owen's on the ball and if he's coming in he's he'll, he'll let him in through the waiting room and he'll be able to to join us well maybe you um, could uh big him up a little bit albert who have we got joining yeah, us? yeah we've got with us tonight sandy smith who is an author he's written a, a book a, 
as have many books have been written about C.S. Lewis, but he's particularly writing a book about C.S. Lewis because he is, comes from Belfast himself and has been fascinated by the life of C.S. Lewis as a boy. And uh, so he is very much involved in, in, in promoting C.S. Lewis in, 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 America, in, in different places in the world, in America and also in Ireland. And uh, he does C.S. Lewis tours around Belfast. Uh, and uh, I thought he'd be an excellent person for us to uh, mm. uh, meet. And also he's going to be uh, working with us in the next, during October on, on one of our book clubs. Uh, mm. He's going to introduce uh, C.S. Lewis to hopefully a new group of readers. So, and it's a whole new initiative. So this is yeah. a new book club where uh, you're looking at one book over several weeks. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and uh, be part of a recurring series. So, no, it'll be nice to chat to him about that and find out. So, so find hopefully, you'll be able to join us and we'll be able to chat about that. But meanwhile, uh, also, we're kind of disappointed that George, who was planning to be with us, George Sneddon, has been unable to join us tonight as well. But he's down in London, and for some reason, I think he's going out for, he's, he's got a better appointment. <laughs> he's living the high life. He's well, living the uh, high life. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he's to sell an appointment with the Queen or something. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't, knowing that one, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> but um, but yes, and so George, he's been our writer this week. Um, and I suppose while we're waiting for Sandy, we could have a wee chat about yeah, that's what I was about the prayers this week. Some of his stuff. I mean, I felt I thought George was bang on 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 the button and a whole lot of stuff this week. Mm. Really speaking to to. Um, to my heart as well this week. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Was there any days that particularly stood out for folk? That's a good question. Um... Uh, I really, um, it was the, I found the story of the bridge really moving, you know, with the, the carpenter um, making, well, being employed by the two brothers who had fell out. Yeah. And then a wall, he built a bridge and uh, I, th- I think that's actually in a lot of our lives, I think that's what we need to remember, that mm. instead of, you know, going in the huff or, you know, letting bitterness, you know, kind of fester, mm. like, bye. let's find a way to build a bridge. Well, yeah. listen, we're just joined, just a moment, I just see we're joined by Sandy Smith. It's great to have you with us, Sandy. Thank you for being able to make that contact and joining us. Yeah, can I introduce you to a... Ian Jimison, although it says he's Robert Jimison, but he's actually Ian Jimison who's with us tonight. And uh, James Cathcart. Who is and, James Cathcart? <laughs> yeah, yeah, James Cathcart and also Laura Dagan. So we're just discussing, Sandy, our writers, the material this week, George Sneddon. And uh, we've just been talking about that particular one. I think it was on Wednesday he was writing about the bridge mm. and the wall. I think yes, so. Yes, on Thursday he wrote about that. That's right. Thursday. 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 Yeah. That's right. It was very powerful for sure. Powerful. Um, and, and, and I like the fact that he used the wood that he would have used for the fence. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, that, it's that idea of taking those attitudes and turning them round uh, to something better. I find that, you know, very moving about that piece. Um, it was a really good week actually for writing. He really kind of nailed it. Actually, it's really profound. I like it exactly. I like his style of writing as well. You know, mm. it's it's really um, he writes with a lot of authority, with a lot of uh, coming in from with a lot of experience. He feels like someone who's writing coming out of his own experience of faith. 
Mm, absolutely. And, and from an editor's standpoint, it's nice as well when people are quite clear, you know, it's quite succinct and he's got an idea and he's coming and he's, he's saying that, you know, because it can be easy if you've got a thousand words, you know, to get to a point, 2000 words. But when you've got that short time constraint, um, he fits a lot in. One of the days that stood out for me was, I think it was Tuesday, the mounting frustrations. That was the Jonah one. Yeah, and this right. distinction that he made between being able to acknowledge God's grace, but also not be able to stomach it. Um, and I thought, you know, because we often talk about theodicy <laughs> and the problems of evil in the world and stuff, but there's also the problem of God's goodness, right? There's the problem that God's too good and we just can't stomach it sometimes. And I think we've all felt like that, haven't oh, we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're smiling. Been like, we're oh, smiling I can't because... that. Yeah. It's true, we're smiling because the. Uh, why would we, we sometimes don't want God to be so good? Is that yeah. me, do you think? Uh, don't know. Um, maybe we should. I was going to say that day, that that was one of the days, because, you know, I'll, I'll often reply when I feel moved to do so, but that was moved to reply, you know, and just say, you know, thank you for that, because Tuesday was uh, absolutely full of frustration from my end just lots of different things at work and that that was a day that you know i started at half seven and i literally i didn't have a lunch i didn't you know ended up having tea about eight o'clock at night completely full on it was nuts um and and i felt that sense of frustration of things kind of getting away from you you know no matter how hard i tried to pull them back in the afternoon there was always another job and another job and another job it just never didn't seem to end at all um so i kind of was in that moment um so it was it was good to see that reflected on the page actually i really did need to sometimes sanctuary first is like that it's almost mm -hmm. as if god kind of sends a wee like message in the post you know <laughs> yeah. like, you're feeling that day and you can relate to it you think wait a minute do you know i know i know what that's all about so yeah loved it as well what i thought i loved that one about an unbroken link eh, where he was talking about a eh, he had visited the methodist church oh yes uh-huh the yeah. wesley's yeah, yeah. the wesley's and um just that sense of praise and adoration that that, that is drawn from us but and he but to see that we're part of something much bigger you know, mm. it's this link, it's drawing us somewhere else. I liked how he used uh, the words unbridled and extol in the prayer um, as well. It was suitably um, kind of 17th century language to, yeah. uh, to use in the prayer. So it was a nice touch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's nice to see that sometimes in prayers, you know, it's a bit like... Um, you know, when I hear old hymns, sometimes they, they take on new meanings and new you know new new resonances in a, mm. in a sense i mean with with my own band um and campbell's band 316 my very favorite song to perform um live my absolute hands down we've got loads of good poppy tunes and all that stuff but my favorite song is a setting we did of a really old christian hymn called love lifted me which mm. we turned into a kind of celtic anthem um but it's uh, there was just something about it that really really spoke to me um and uh and and it, it it's quite arcane language it's not what i would sing about it's not how i would sing or present a song but for some reason when i'm singing that um i'm so caught up and in love with just how the the original writer 
wrote those simple lyrics, you know? Do you know, absolutely. Ian, I was in my Bible study this this morning and then I was giving a wee, a wee, the, the weekly message for, for this week. And um, I was looking at that passage in Philippians chapter 2 where it's this amazing, it's, all, it's, it's like a song where, you know, Paul writes and says, you know, he talks about he, Jesus who, who gave up everything in order that we might, we, you know, he, 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 he emptied himself of everything. Mm-hmm. And, and in emptying himself, but the one thing is, it's, and again, I think um, one of the hymns, one of the Wesley hymns says, emptied himself of all but love. You know, mm-hmm. the one thing he couldn't empty himself of was love. Mm-hmm. And, and that picture of, the, of, of Christ and the cross dying for us in, in mm-hmm. brokenness, but love still there is such a powerful image for us to realize what that, that and that's the love Ian, that lifts us, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You know, and you know, if it's not too obvious a segue, it's, it's kind of what I remember of, because I knew that we were going to have a C.S. Lewis expert on. Um, <laughs> and, and it kind of reminded me of the whole way that C.S. Lewis talks about God's love, you know, in mm. the problem of pain and how things are so much from our perception. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to hear. Yeah, Sandy, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, that, that famous book, is it the, the Three Loves? The Four Loves. The, the Four, four loves. loves. Four Loves, wasn't it? The Four Loves, yeah. <laughs> uh, any comments on that, to what Ian was saying there? Well, uh, uh, no, not, not specifically on that particular book, but uh, uh, Lewis deals with the, the different aspects of love in that book. Uh, the, the different ways of describing those loves and the differences between them, uh, the difference between eros and charity, uh, uh, all of those differences. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that is one of the books where uh, Lewis deals with a lot of basic Christian ideas. And of course, even in mere Christianity, he deals with the whole idea of, uh, of love and, and God being God of love and all the, uh, all the things that flow from that that are possible only because God is the personification. It is love itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, love, I love how Lewis, though, bring, you know, he brings into his writing some very ancient Christian texts. I, I mean, this is a guy who wrote sci-fi. So he, he wrote To the Future. And, and he, I, I, I feel from reading a lot of his stuff, there's this kind of grounding in, um, you know, the what's possible, the physical laws of the universe. I, I, just, find, I just find that really refreshing to do that. I mean, although I, I, you know, I'm, I'm open to and, and, you know, enjoy very much the, the kind of metaphysical aspects of, um, of my Christian walk, I also like the fact of the, you know, this, this kind of bringing the universe, the kind of reality. I, I wonder what Lewis would have been like writing now with all that we know. Mm. Well, it's a kind of an interesting idea. Uh, and one of the things I, I think that Lewis's writing would be almost I- identical. Uh, I think maybe some of his illustrations would have changed. But uh, w- one of the reasons why I, I continue to read Lewis um, is because he dealt with fundamental questions that really don't change that much 
the things that people have been troubled with and have struggled with over the years are still the same things that people wrestle with and struggle with. Uh, Ian mentioned, he quoted one of the books a moment or two ago, uh, The Problem of Pain. And of course, the problem of pain is one of those uh, perennial things that uh, when you find people who are struggling with belief, uh, they almost revert to that and revert to the, the question, why is the universe like it is? Why can it not be better? Why can it not be free of pain and suffering and injustice? Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that appealed to me originally, uh, looking back to my early teens, when I was encountering some of these questions for the very first time. And the thing that really encouraged me was the fact that, that, that Lewis addressed these questions. He didn't duck them. And a lot of the other people I found around me, uh, they were almost kind of ducking the question. They weren't really getting into the really hard bits mm -hmm. and attempting to give answers. And you know, when I think back um, again to my early teens reading some of these books, um, I don't think really at the time I fully understood both the strengths and the weaknesses of Lewis's arguments. What I was really encouraged by that he thought he, he could offer something positive that he was prepared to write on these, prepared to make a comment and prepared to deal with the hard bits in a way that uh, I didn't experience other people at the time dealing with. So I was just encouraged by the fact that he felt that there was an approach to the questions and all of, the, all of those perennial questions uh, that, that arise. So uh, I think that, you know, even in our current situation, where there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering uh, and a lot of questioning around COVID um, and so on, where people are saying, well, what, why does God permit this kind of thing if he's all powerful and he is the creator? And of course, Lewis points out that uh, being all powerful doesn't mean that you can just, that you just behave like a magician and that some things can be made to go away very easily that the universe, as Ian said a moment or two ago, that the universe is a real and workable universe and it cannot work one way one minute and then be totally reversed and work in another way, another way in another minute. That uh, once you decide that giving people free choice is, is one of the things that a God of love would do, he, he's not going to compel any of us uh, to conform with him. He invites us to come. But if we choose not to do so, then there is the free will to reject. And from that free will flows all sorts of things. And the one line I remembered from Lewis, he said, you know, you cannot take things that are impossible and put God in front of, put the word God in front of those things. And that putting the word God in front instantly makes sense out of nonsense he said nonsense remains forever nonsense, nonsense. isn't that the uh, thing because I, I, <laughs> I find that reduces god you know that that reduces the idea of god to to you know to use god as such a blunt instrument because what it does is it sets god up as this kind of kindly wizard of voice <laughs> but that, but what that means is that there's somebody behind the curtain mm. of course god's god there is nobody behind the behind curtain, the curtain. Um, and 
do, do you know what I mean? I think it's a straw man argument. Um, th there's a thing online, and I'd be I'd, again. I, I wish that Lewis had been around to debate this. So I'd be really curious as to your thoughts on this, Sandy. Um, that that uh, Stephen Fry. It's it's one of the kind of atheist things that you see, and Stephen Fry talks about. Um, uh, a bug that lives in uh, Peru, I think it is, in fact, Albert, you might know about this, and it burrows into the eyes of children, and makes mm -hmm. them blind, um, and burrows out through their eye, and he says, you know, if I, what, would, what would I say to God, he's asked, and, and he says, well, I, I would ask you why you're so cruel, you know, why you would allow this thing to exist that a you know, destroys the sight of children. But I'd love to see Lewis debate that because that's a very, you know, earth, earthly and and it's a physical thing and it's an it's an arc of nature. Do you know what I mean? But I sometimes feel, you know, it's it's that question people ask me a lot. Ask me a lot in in my job, um, and I ask myself sometimes, you know, the why me question. Why not me? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Why? Why not me? At the end of the day, that that that's the physical universe. What do you think Lewis might say to that? To that? Well, well, you know, I think he would revert to the illustration that he actually did give us. You know, uh, Lewis gave us your example was of one little creature that is doing damage to other creatures, and uh, you you can replicate that uh, uh, in many spheres. But Lewis gave us one illustration. He took the illustration of a chair. And he said, you know, and here this evening, we're, we're all sitting on chairs and they are holding us up. And he said, you know, that, that's the purpose for the chair. But he said, if I decide to, I can lift the chair and I can hit you over the head with the chair. And he said, you may argue, well, why does God allow a chair to have structure and stiffness and rigidity that can support your weight? But the instant that it goes to do something that it was not intended to do, why doesn't it turn to cotton wool so that it doesn't do you a damage? And that's the same with your creature. You know, it was designed to do one thing. When it attacks the eyes of a child, why doesn't it do something else? And Lewis said, well, the chair doesn't turn to cotton wool because God made a physical world. Mm -hmm. It has physical properties. The chair has a physical property and chairs don't magically turn into cotton wool when they uh, are used uh, for a purpose that they weren't intended for. So, I mean, I think that's what he would come back to ultimately with every one of those examples. When, when something looks as if it's doing uh, something mischievous, is, is something detrimental, something bad that we wouldn't want. Um, uh, God is not going to instantly uh, alter the entire universe and the way that it, it runs. Things will remain in, in the structures that they were intended to have. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know if, that, if, if his illustration is helpful to you or not, Ian, and if you think that uh, that, that goes... I, I think it is. I think one of the things that I got from some of his writing was, uh, and I haven't read Lewis for, for a long, long time. Um, I mean, I, I was very much in love with the Narnia stories. Um, you know, I'd, even even as, a, as, an, as an older teenager reading them, um, 
and and he's out of the silent planet and all that stuff you know i've read a lot of on the screw tape letters you know as i say i've read a lot of lewis myself and and but but one of the things i i i warmed to a in problem of pain it's in his other writing as well is that we only see what's in front of our faces you know we only actually see and experience what our senses tell us just now we don't see the great linearity of our life you know i've had some bad stuff happen to me in my life but actually i wouldn't be where i am now had the bad stuff not happened and change you know and changed me in some way i you know i think god's concerned with our eternal souls do you know that, that that's that's one of the things I take out of his writing. I don't know if that's right to take that out of his writing, but that's it's it's what I think he calls he calls the what to me is the 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 the, the eternality and the the linearity of the human soul. He's, he he calls it the deeper magic, doesn't he? He calls it the deep yeah. ma- deeper magic, and to go deeper in and deeper in and deeper in, um, and that's I think that's been written about in in. One in some of the sanctuary first stuff as well before maybe I'm I'm misquoting. I think I think people do pick up on that kind yeah. of area to think about it. Um, but here's another thing. I don't know if um, Laura, you were saying you were thinking you might want to join Sandy in his in his book club. Yes, well, because like I know absolutely nothing about um, C.S. Lewis, um, apart from having read. Um, the Narnia whenever I was at school and we had did some work on that in RE but that was quite a while ago and I can't quite you know um, but I'm I'm fascinated listening to the discussion because I'm thinking oh I think I would really um, really enjoy this Um, and the book I think is it Surprised by Joy that that the book club's going to be looking at uh, yes, that, that's what we're planning to do. We're going to start with Surprise by Joy. Um, we selected, we, we could have uh, started this almost anywhere. We could have started with your Chronicles of Narnia, and that would have been interesting in itself. But um, the book that we have selected is the one that, uh, it does deal with a, a fair bit of Lewis's early life. So it enables people who haven't read much of him to get some idea of his own story. And the difficulties, and Ian has referred to some of the difficulties that uh, occurred in, in his life, um, some of the things that occurred early on in his life, um, it, it, gets us, it gives us an opportunity to put those in some kind of a perspective. And uh, uh, there's a little bit of biographical detail. And sometimes I think before you can really uh, start to enjoy and appreciate an author, it's useful to know a little bit about their own story. Uh, where they came from and uh, how they developed. So that book gives us an opportunity uh, to do that. Uh, And we're starting with that one this Thursday. So this coming Thursday, and if people want to sign up for it, you can actually go over onto the Sanctuary First site. If you're watching this in Facebook, you can go onto the Sanctuary First site and go over to the area where... I think it's it's under 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 book club. The blogs. blogs. So the details blogs. about um, there's details about the book club um, on the blog, um, and it's also under events as well. But you be able, you've got all the details. It tells you um, about what um, going to be doing. Well, the title, the heading for each week. You know, a rough idea. Um, people will need to get the book. 
um, beforehand. Um, so all be able to, you know, so if they've signed up this weekend, I'm sure they'll be able to, you know. I think you can download the book anyway. Oh, yes. I would imagine uh-huh. it'd be easy to download. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, and it's uh, five weeks. Um, so five weeks. And I think I'll, I'll definitely be joining. I them. think Sandy's such an interesting person. She's got lots of knowledge of C.S. Lewis. I can see how people will really enjoy that. And I know that if, if, if this works, we're planning on maybe doing something else in the, in this, in the, maybe after Christmas. And uh, you might tackle uh, mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. You know, I noticed that G.K. Chesterton once said that mere Christianity holds all the key ideas of Christianity. That 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 almost he speaks of things that that brings a unity to the Christian faith across across the, the various denominations. That I think whatever denomination you are. You could read mere Christianity and find it very helpful. But but please correct me if I'm if if I'm wrong here. But you know Lewis comes to Lewis you know grows up uh, with some kind of faith, loses his faith, and then he comes to faith after experiencing you know a bit of the world. I think what does he says something about himself about being. I don't know, the, 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 the poorest, most dejected man that came to the cross or something of that nature, doesn't he? And, and, yes. Hey, well, but, well, is that not why, though, that he's such a powerful writer? Because he's coming at it with a whole life lived, really. Yes, well, certainly. I mean, he was in his 30s before he really came to a, a firmly based uh, uh, faith. Uh, and he did say that uh, the, that on the the leading up to his coming to faith, he said he, he was the most dejected convert in all England. Uh, and uh, writing to another uh, one of his students, one of his students later on, when Lewis was much older even than he was at the time when he came to faith, one of his students wrote to him and said, "You know, Mr. Lewis, I would very much like to become a Christian." but I just cannot believe. And Lewis said to him, well, he said, that's interesting. You're just the exact opposite of me because I did, I did not want to believe, but found belief was the logic, only logical alternative. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that strikes me, I find it strikes a chord with me about Lewis is this idea of longing that he talks about. Do you want to say a wee bit about that, Sandy? Yeah, uh, yes, I will. That's an interesting idea. And of course, that, that's one of the things we're going to be encountering in uh, looking at Surprised by Joy. Um, uh, he, he tells a very interesting story that happened really when, uh, in his childhood. Uh, when, when he was five years old, he tells a story about one summer morning being in the garden of his home here in Belfast, really only literally a few hundred yards from where I'm sitting speaking to you this evening. And uh, uh, Lewis uh, is confronted by his brother who has been out in the garden and he made a little toy garden, a work of art. He had just taken the lid of a biscuit tin. He had put some damp moss on it. He had pulled some leaves and some twigs and adorned it, turned it into a little garden. And his brother presented him with this toy garden. And he said he remembers distinctly his reactions to seeing the garden. He remembers how it looked, its aesthetic appeal, 
And um, he remembers how it smelled, the smell of the damp moss. And he said he remembered how he felt in that moment. And how he felt was, he uses a number of English words to describe it. But he said he was filled with a sense of longing that because of its beauty and all of the color and the variegation of the leaves and the textures of the leaves uh, and the scent, it filled him with a longing that he, re he recalled for the rest of his life. One of the leaves that his brother had put on this toy garden was the leaf of a flowering currant. And I don't know if you know the smell of a flowering currant, but certainly if you press it with your fingertips, it is quite a strong, the, the, the scent of it will remain on your fingertips for many hours after. And what he said was that he could never for the rest of his life pass a flowering currant bush without remembering that moment and that sense of longing. And his question in adulthood, looking back to that childhood episode, was what was he longing for? Because as a child, he grew up in a fairly affluent area of Belfast. Uh, his parents were affluent by the standard of the time. Um, and there was nothing that he knew of was missing. He had his brother for company. He, he wasn't lonely. He wasn't in ill health. He had all of the material things that he really could have uh, wanted as a child. And yet he was conscious of something missing, a longing. And that longing stayed with him all through his adult years. And of course, if you think of Lewis's journey from his boyhood in Belfast, from being an infant virtually, um, at that time, he was only about four or five when the episode of the toy garden occurred. But for the rest of his life, even though at times he came to reject God completely, that he still had this inner longing, a search for something else. Mm. And, uh, and that's what stayed with him until, of course, when he arrives and he meets with Tolkien uh, and uh, uh, other fellows at Magdalen College. And he begins to read at a time when he had written off uh, the stories of the Bible as being mythical. Um, and, and not in, a, in any bad sense, but, you know, he had studied the Roman myths, the Greek myths. And he was aware of the myths of the Hebrews. And he thought they were all very interesting stories. And, and these other stories, these Christian myths, were just interesting stories. They were interesting, but at the end of the day, they were just stories. And it was only when Tolkien said to him, yes, but the fact that there's all of these multiple stories does not mean that they are inherently untrue. You know, he took the story, for example, of Noah and the big boat. And, uh, you know, it, Lewis had adopted this notion that lots of cultures have the story of a big boat. And some of the detail is different. Some of the detail might even be contradictory. And, and he said, but they're all just stories. They're all just myths. And it was Tolkien who said to him, but maybe there was a big boat. And, <laughs> and, and, and all, the, all, of these, all of these cultures, they all have a story about a big boat. Maybe, maybe their story is slightly different, but they don't point to the fact that the boat was untrue. They all point to the fact the boat was true, that there was a big boat. They all just reported it slightly differently. And maybe some got more corrupted than others. But the essential bit of the story remains true. And it, it was from starting to consider our cultural heritage. And that's actually what uh, interested me uh, in um, 
what had been written in the review during the week, you know, the story of Wesley and our cultural heritage, what, what we have come from. And for some people, that is a, a, a culture of hymnology. But there's the whole culture of story and narrative. And this is what Lewis homed in on. And he became, you know, Tolkien put it to him that maybe this was the story that is true, that really happened. And, there... and he went on to talk, isn't it, about the fairy tale, how we always look for a happy ending. And <laughs> was, that, was there not a drawing into him about that as well? Well, well, yes. I mean, what, what he said was that, that this story that, you know, you can detect fairy tale and, and something that is someone is telling to make it have a happy ending. But he said all the details of this story ring true. And he said almost, you know, wherever you test the universe, it rings true. It reflects the creator. And this story of the dying God, you know, he, he pointed to many cultures that have a story of a dying God. Um, and people point to the, the, the sowing of seed and it dying on the ground and it being resurrected uh, and for the following harvest. And he said, but this story is one that, that was actually the true story, that God did come, was manifest in flesh and died and was raised again. Uh, and that this story is the true story. And he said, you know, that, the, that while he's happy with the idea of myth, but this, this is the myth that was true. Mm -hmm. But I think that this is one of the things that I've found that the more, you know, the, the more that I learn about the universe round about me and the more that I learn about um, things like quantum theory, etc., the more it harmonizes with what the Bible and, and many, as you, as you rightly point out, as many stories say, but the allegorical nature of those stories chimes vet to, to me and certainly to my ears chimes beautifully with what is becoming scientific fact mm -hmm. you know that i i find that absolutely always fascinating um and i was but i was struck by when you were talking about this longing you know i would defy anybody um to walk up a hill or to stand on their own and watch a sunset um or to just look on the just the glory of what God's given us in planet Earth, or just go out one night, wrap yourself up and lie on your back in your garden, try not to get too cold, or lie in something, and look up at the stars on a clear night. They just go on for forever. And and that sense of awe um, is incredibly power, powerful for human beings, you know. They're beginning to find that this is one of the things that helps stave off things like dementia, for example, is if you're able to regularly experience awe, mm. it expands the mind. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely. And I think that speaks to where that longing is. I don't know if you agree. Um, I, I, you know, you know I, I, um, I, feel, I, 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 may, I think I may have spoke about this before, but like, see, for my whole life, I mean, I've always had this feeling in me that and it was a longing ever since I was a wee child that there was something more, there was something else that I, that, you know, I just couldn't reach, I just couldn't touch. And it didn't matter, didn't matter what I got or what I did, you know, doing the things that I wanted to do. I still had this feeling that something was always missing and there was, it was a longing within me. And it was only whenever 
I really started to really let God work in my life and, you know, listening to God and that actually that that feeling abated that I actually felt like I felt that, oh no, I'm here, you know, and that everything was just right and ever you know, and I was like full, you know, I was full. I didn't need to keep looking. And um, you know, it's like that, um you know, I st- it was like that U two song, you know, I have I still haven't found what I've looked I'm looking for, like looking and looking and looking. But but now it's I feel it's like a completeness, you know, and it's just like a connection that just and it's this way, it's the way that you just said that, Ian, that a connection that just it opens up. It opens up everything, you know, and you just you are in wonder and awe all the time. I know it sounds a bit fanciful, maybe to people listening, but that is that is how I feel. And I'm definitely coming on to this book club now because I really want to know more about this man. Seriously, he also talked about this longing. Did he not also sometimes call it joy? Well, yes, he did. I mean, what he he said that joy in his term was it was a, 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 a the words he actually used was he describes it in, in a technical sense. He said that joy is different from pleasure or happiness, mm-hmm. um, and that's an interesting idea. And here's what he said about the difference between them. He said, you know, uh, pleasure is very often within our reach. That providing you're wealthy enough, uh, you can actually provide pleasure and your pleasure might be in uh, well it could be in anything some people their pleasure is alcohol and he said providing you've got enough money you can provide copious amounts of alcohol and there might be pleasure in that but there is not joy and he said that joy pleasure is within our reach but joy is never within our reach joy comes when it is least expected and he said the characteristic of joy is that it's like a stab. It's when you're least expecting it that you get this stab of joy. You read something and it reminds you. Uh, and uh, earlier in the week in the writings, we were, uh, we were reminded about uh, remembrance and the idea of remembering things and the things mm-hmm. in, our, in our memory. Uh, bring, bringing us great joy and you know the, the things that you remember are your maybe your childhood experiences maybe you have memories of your parents when they were younger you have memories of your of your children and and Lewis uh, one of the things he said was that um, without memory there is no joy mm-hmm. and it, it made me realize that you know when people lose their memory there's almost a vacant uh, something vacant in their lives if you cannot remember. And of course, what we remember is what we have learned from the Old Testament and the New Testament, what we have learned in our Christian experience, um, our Christian fellowship. Um, one, of, one, of, one of the readings during the week was about uh, the folk being brought out of Egypt with all the gold and yet there came a point when they were starving, they needed fed, they needed the manna. And God comes to the people of Israel and he said, but I have remembered my promise to you. Not that God had forgotten, but he is demonstrating that his promise has been remembered and that his promise has been honored. 
uh, and he feeds them uh, in the wilderness and the promises are remembered. It's, it's actually just not that you were fed. It's the remembering of a kept promise that brings the joy. The manna brought the pleasure, but the memory of a kept promise brought joy. One thing I was going to say, though, is we have to be very careful sometimes when, you know, we look at other human beings and we almost mind read you know, by their mm-hmm. facial expressions and particularly when it comes to the loss of memory, which is obviously something I work with and, and, and patients who maybe have dementia. The thing is, we don't really, the, the thing about dementia is that the brain, to, to, certainly to my mind, and I'm an ex-anaesthetist um, from when I was in my hospital days, um, and we can switch consciousness off just like that. That was actually quite sore. I wish I hadn't done that. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Do yourself another mischief, Ian. But, but we can switch consciousness of just, you know, just in a second. And how do we do that? We do that because uh, we think we know how anesthetic gases and drugs work, but we don't really. All we know is that we disrupt the electrical flows within the brain and communications between brain cells. But we don't actually know what happens to that receiver. And I'm beginning to come around to the idea that consciousness may actually be something that is non-localized and that our brains are incredibly complicated radio receivers. So I think we, we, we do ourselves a, a disservice, I think, if we anthropomorphize things we don't really understand. And, and it comes home to me, you know, when, uh, you know, when I speak to people, it's just that they can't communicate to us perhaps what's going on inside, and we maybe don't see, we're not with them 24-7. We're not with them when they dream. And we don't know what happens then. We don't know if there is that sense of joy. Also, do you know one of the things that I found? Uh, I used to, when I visit homes, uh, nursing homes, and somebody had dementia, I would sing with them. Oh, and, yeah. and all of a sudden, you see them come back. The people come back. Yes. You know, and they, in fact, I remember having a visit to to. Um, a home uh, singing, singing for the brain, uh, and uh, there's about 30, pe- 30 people who struggling with memory, and their families were all singing with them, and it was just amazing that the songs somehow the joy. Well, there was there was a sense of joy and um, something happening there as we're singing together, but I think this deeper sense of joy that Sandy's talking about and Sue Lewis is talking about is this longing to know God in a deeper way. And I wonder if part of that is encountered in worship when we come in to truly worship God. Mm-hmm. But that's because we're, dro- we're drawing close to something that is eternal and natural and part of the very fibres of our beings. And I think Lewis writes about this as well. You know, it's intrinsically us um, it's that moment where, and I've had it a few, just like yourself, Laura, it was lovely to hear you talk about that because in, in my but in my actual job, which is a kind of pretty boring job in some respects, but, you know, you'll maybe make that diagnosis or you'll maybe have that day where things actually do go right um, or, or you get a great save, you know, or you're maybe in the research and you get a great save or something happens and, and you've really turned the corner for somebody in a really unexpected way, right? And you know it wasn't you, but you get that feeling inside and you think, you know, or, or you sing a song and, it, and it's just perfect. Or you're in the studio and suddenly a song mm-hmm. comes out and it's like, perfect. 
and it didn't come from me just kind of wandered along into your life and, <laughs> and, and it's that sense of I'm doing what I was put here to do this is what I was made for I think that's amazing and that's like I think that's like you Laura you know it's that that sense is that, is that not what we're wanting about, you know? is, it, is that not what it's sometimes I'm thinking of someone's listening in here tonight is that not and they're longing for something is that not what we as Christians are talking about to bring people to that place where they encounter the living God and they find themselves being fulfilled in some amazing way and they engage with the love of God that is surprises them. Mm. And I think there's something as we've been talking, it's inherently bittersweet about that, you know, because as we live on earth, you know, before a realization and in heaven, that's going to be fragmentary, you know, in terms of the, the edge that goes between joy and tragedy and darkness and light. And the will, there will be these moments of this flow state when you're in the zone and you feel in tune, but that's not every waking moment. No. Um, and it is actually quite a fragile thing. And so coming to faith and exploring your faith is not like a, a ticket out of reality. You know, it's no. like deeper in, further up and further in, you know, as C.S. Lewis would say. And I was struck, Sandy, you made a point in the uh, blog and referred earlier to this idea of the time when C.S. Lewis was writing, particularly Mere Christianity, which if I remember was adapting uh, radio lectures and um, they were actually going out in the 1940s when um, the wor World War II was happening. And so when, the, when that material and other works that he was writing in say the 50s were coming together, it was to a traumatized country, you know, that had been through incredible difficulties. And you drew a parallel to the current situation that we're in, in the pandemic. And, and there's this sort of strange time we're in at the moment where you could imagine another, just as the 1920s, you know, was a burst of creativity and new innovation in the 50s was a time of new innovation. You know, we may be on the cusp of a new human flowering. So there's a lot of dark and light at the moment. Um, and so I wonder if, you know, this is the time for C.S. Lewis again, um, being able to speak clearly into... Um, into yeah what's quite an intense but potentially quite a creative time but how can you possibly have the fullest experience of love and joy without experiencing the opposite sorrow mm -hmm. you know what i mean how, how how can you if you were happy all the time what would that mean you know i, I say this a lot to uh triage uh, staff is if everything's an emergency nothing's an emergency mm -hmm. yeah. do, do you know what i mean Do you know, there's a lovely, if somebody's listening into this, if you go onto the website and under videos, type in sorrow and joy, there's a beautiful, it will come up. You'll get a video coming up eh, and it's eh, a poem written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And we've put it to music and some, some visuals. And it's beautiful because, again, Bonhoeffer, is he starts off by asking what is sorrow and what is joy and he and he picks up what you're saying ian that, that, that there's got to be a link between these two mm. Mm. and when you think about you know comedy and tragedy as archetypes and c.s lewis was a great comedian you know in the screwtape letters and and stuff as well there's a sense that often the the bare events of a comedy or tragedy might be quite similar but a comedy suggests that everything will ultimately 
come together and a tragedy suggests that well everything will ultimately fall apart uh, but actually the reality can be very similar you know everything goes wrong usually in a comedy um and so they're, they're intrinsically linked i think and perhaps this generation and past generations are at a moment where this is you know we're having to face that uh, we're having to face that again just how precious life is um and um it's kind of a wake-up call isn't it do you know what was just brought to mind they're talking about that is that the, the comedy series blackadder um, that you can still find, you know, and Blackadder used to make me howl, just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But there's the bit, the very last episode of Blackadder, when in, they're in the First World War, it, it's so moving, just at the very end, because they're all going to their deaths. It's just mm-hmm. very, very moving thing. So, well, listen, folks, believe it or not, we've come to... <laughs> We've come to our 10 o'clock time, or a minute to go before it's 10 o'clock. Um, we've had a fascinating evening. A huge thank you to Sandy Smith, our guest tonight, who's, who's really played a great game, uh, taking everything on board and talking and contributing. And I hope we'll get you back again, Sandy, because it was just quite interesting, all that you were having to say about C.S. Lewis. Uh, and... Uh, I hope this maybe given you uh, uh, maybe uh, like Laura a, a desire to do you know what I'm going to sign up for that. So, mm-hmm. but you're going to have to sign up for it. So you're going to have to go into the website and go and sign up for it, so that we know who you are. We can get you into the book the book club and you can enjoy it. Down and you need to download the Surprise by Joy book and read your first three chapters before Thursday. Uh, and it's eight o'clock on Thursday night, Sandy. That's it, eight o'clock. And uh, I, I, you can see it. You're going to be in. I'm. I'm looking forward to. It. I'm hoping I'm going to try and get into this one as well, and uh, and hopefully maybe others. And and we can break into different groups. So we've got. You know, if if, the, if there's a big group, it's not a problem. We can actually break into different groups, uh, and still have our discussions. So I think it's going to be a great, a great evening, next Thursday. So. Get yourself organised. <laughs> Andy, Laura, what have you got to tell us for Sunday? What have you got planned for Sunday? <clears throat> oh, well, it's James that's been organising Sunday. Oh, it's James, yes. Yeah, so it yeah. is. I should have known. But Jane, you can... Jane. Uh, Jane. <laughs> now I'm calling you Jane. Jane can take it, Laura can yeah. take it. Um, absolutely. So the theme uh, for Sunday is not salt and sauce. It's not salt and vinegar. It's salt and grace. Um, and we're looking at the words from Colossians, uh, where Paul invites us to season our conversations. Um, and your good self, Albert, will be preaching. Um, yeah. So we're going to have Albert preaching, and there's going to be live music and recorded music, and a whole pile of prayers, whole pile of prayers. So um, we'd love you, uh, love to join us at three o'clock uh, on Sunday, or you can watch back later in the week when it's convenient for you. So there you go. Uh, so thank you all so much for listening in. Thank you to our guest, uh, Sandy Smith. Thank you to uh, Ian Jimison for his contributions, to James Cuthcart and to Laura Dagen and to Owen, who is Owen Griffiths, who's behind the weekly review this week, hiding away there, not saying too much. Thank you to you too, Owen, for being with us and uh, doing uh, the techie spot for us this evening. So until next week, uh, I look forward to catching up with you and the team. God bless and have a good weekend. Absolutely.